Yo. Hello. It was good, man. Chilling, just getting off work, ready to record. Drop some new heat. Drop some new heat, Fire. man. The streets is waiting for it, man. <laughs> <laughs> I had a couple people ask me when we was going to drop the next episode, man. So that's that's great to hear. Um, oh, yeah, definitely. This, this is the fifth installment of Game 6. Um, I don't have a catchy name for the uh, number five, but um, I'm sure something will come up. But um, yeah, yeah, I'm ready to get into it, man. It was a lot that went on, man, that we, we that we haven't discussed. So let, let's get right into it. Yeah, so you know, recently, um, big event just passed us by the Oscars. So thought it'd be f- only fitting if we did our own Game Six edition of the Oscars. Of course. So we're going to get things rolling first off with the best actor or actress. So what this would be is pretty much the individual who most exemplified what it was to be game six today, coming through in the clutch, living in the moment and just making it a lifestyle. Right. And the undisputed choice, the king would be none other than the king, LeBron James. Fact, LeBron James. LeBron James. The Marcus Cousins. Nah, I want him. (laughs) No, but um, the reason why we picked LeBron, man, is just because, you know, the best uh, leading actor or actress, you know, they're kind of like the the face of the, you know, the Oscars in that particular year. Um, And for LeBron, he's obviously the best player in the NBA right now. But on, on, even off the court, he's been leading by example. Uh, the way he handles his business, the way he's speaking out against uh, different injustices, the way he's you know rallying for people and being a voice for people who don't who don't have that voice. Um, and he's he's year fifteen, man. And he's playing as almost as great as he's ever played. You know what I'm saying? So just well rounded. Like I, I think that's a great choice. Oh yeah, most definitely. You know, he's just. Excelling in every aspect of his game and off the court too, so it's really no other choice to make. I mean, he flat out balls on and off the court, and he can't be stopped either way. Like this man owns his own pizza chain and production company, and still <laughs> is contributing to the neighborhood he grew up in. He he low key is like the um the owner or founder of Clutch Sports. Uh, which you know is uh represents different guys in the league like Ben Simmons, John Wall, Tristan Thompson, like <laughs> like he he low key is uh, has a big part in that 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 agency, and uh, he's yeah. still in the league. <laughs> yeah, that's um, isn't uh yeah because they were making a connection with uh, L.A. one time because uh, Contavious Caldwell Pope is uh in that agency and uh, he exactly. plays for the Lakers. Yep. Yeah, so they were trying to make that connection. But um so what's the what's the next uh category we got? The next would be the best supporting actor. So this would be the group or individual who just came up from like, you know, they they came from a lesser role to be greater than what they were. You know, they played a bigger role and just made whatever they were supporting that much better. Put it over the top. They were the icing on the cake. 
And so for that, we have none other than the support that the Black Panther movie had received from its audience. Right. Yeah, I mean, they just eclipsed over a billion dollars worldwide, you know, and I think there's only like two or three movies ever, not even just Marvel, uh, in the sports, I mean, the sports uh, comic book superhero type genre that have done that, uh, one of which being The Dark Knight. And I can't think of the other one off the top of my head. Oh, hold on, fam. I pulled Steve Harvey. I know. <laughs> you did, but... <laughs> hold on. Hold on. I pulled Steve Harvey. Hey, you did, but I was going to be game six and just roll with the punches, man. <laughs> nah, fam. We can't let that fly. <laughs> How'd I forget I can... my boy? How'd I forget I can... my boy? Actually, this is exactly like the Oscars because that happened last year. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, Moonlight. Yeah, it was, it was like La La Land. Actually, no, it was Moonlight. <laughs> yeah, but uh, man, how did I forget my boy Taco Meat? It is <laughs> the best supported actor is Nick Foles. Yeah, man, Nick Foles. Yeah, uh, it's it's obvious why he got it, man. It's obvious. Yeah, man, Taco Meat shot it. He was my Game 6. He was my inaugural Game 6 performer of the week. So, I mean, it just goes without saying. Right. Put up the big numbers, led his team whenever everybody thought they were down and out. So, you know, Game 6 all day, Nick Foles. And, so, and yeah. one, one thing to make point, like he's not the first backup quarterback to win the Super Bowl. But it's right. not like he just won the Super Bowl, you know, because he had like a great team around him. He did. You know, the Eagles were – favorites to win it when they had uh, Carson Wentz, uh, especially since he was the MVP candidate. But, you know, they really didn't miss a beat when Nick Foles got in there. Like, uh, during the regular season, they struggled a little bit. Uh, but once they got to the playoffs, man, it was pretty much on the, on the popping, uh, especially um, against the Vikings and the, the Patriots. Um, so he, he's definitely deserving of it, for real. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it, it pains me to say as a Giants fan, but, you know, it is what it is. I mean... Shoot, it was down with the Patriots, so, you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but uh, now here we go. Let me make sure I get this one right. Best picture, which would be the best single thing to happen this year. So it could be anything from someone breaking a record, breaking a streak, somebody um, getting a lifetime achievement, uh some discovery of like maybe an unknown element or somebody found an alien, you know, just something groundbreaking that just hadn't been done. And the game in the game six best picture this year would undoubtedly have to be the support that the Black Panther movie has gotten this year. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, they didn't go home empty handed, empty handed, you know, they still got something, <laughs> but um, yeah, you know, for the same reasons I mentioned, you know what I'm saying? The, the support that they've gotten, it took me a while to see the movie, um, but you know it's definitely the support that it's gotten uh, is definitely well worth it, man. It's a great movie, and um, I can't wait to see where his character goes um, in a universe MCU after this. You know what I'm saying? Like whether it's Infinity War, whether it's the Black Panther two. I think that was already confirmed. Um, well, uh, speaking on that in Infinity War, um, I know like before. Because, like, you know, Iron Man's been, like, the flagship character of the Marvel movies. Mm-hmm. And, like, him and Captain America. And um, those, what reports are saying is those guys are about to get phased out. So they want to find who's going to be the next, like, you know, people to be in that role. Yeah. And um, 
before it was speculated it'd be Captain Marvel and Spider-Man. But the way Black Panther was received, like, they're thinking about giving him that Iron Man spot. That'll be dope, man. That'll really be dope. Um, yeah, because it's it's been a lot of talk about the actors not really playing their their wanting to keep playing their uh, respective characters anymore, whether it's Chris Evans or Robert Downey. Um, so you know they're not going to be here for too long. So I'm not against it. Yeah. Um. Be interesting to see, like, um. Because of the whole vibranium thing, see how that goes, like, you know, how that has effects throughout the MCU, see how that would happen. But, yeah, that will be interesting. And, like, you know, even though he's not one of my favorites, like, he's so overpowered as a character, like, he would have to be one of the big players. Like, because he's easily, like, right now, he's, like, easily the second strongest in Marvel far as the heroes go next to Doctor Strange. And that's only because Doctor Strange has an Infinity Stone. Is that uh, the Time Stone, right? Yeah, yeah. It's in that little thing. Well, you know, what's the next category we got, man? Next category, Best Cinematography. So this can be... We kind of wanted to go to social media for this one, so it'd be the best... Little Vine. I know Vine doesn't exist anymore, but you know, the little short video to have a little funny clip on it, maybe from Instagram or Facebook, the best gift or even the best meme. So I'm gonna let you take this one away. Um, and don't get me, you know, I don't want to see Harvey again, but I believe <laughs> the winner is uh, Mr. Uh, Shock White Man. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> Yeah, that's him. <laughs> I don't know what to call him. And I actually, there was a funny story I read on Twitter about the guy. Um, but then, you know, how, like, how bringing life to his normal self. But I think everybody knows who I'm talking about when I say the shot white guy. Like, his facial expression can be used in almost every <laughs> uh, uh, environment, almost every uh, point, you know what I'm saying, different uh, points, whether it's funny, whether it's like you serious or whatever. Like, I use it almost every day. Um, and it's hilarious almost every time. So that's my, uh, well, that's our uh, winner for best cinematography for the best gift. It's hilarious. Oh yeah, yeah, funny, 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 funny. Pa- Patrick Starr made a made a uh, made a. Uh, he tried, yeah, but he made, he made I don't a know. Push. A little late. Yeah, he, he might get here, but he's been killing it lately. <laughs> yeah, and, I, and the thing with him, like, like, and people do it now, especially on Twitter. They'll find a meme that they like, and they'll overkill oh, it. Just kill it. Just kill, kill it. it. Like the one now, besides Patrick Starr, is the Krusty Krab versus the Chum Bucket, and I don't even really find that. But you know, whatever is if what the right one could be funny. People are killing that man every day. I'm seeing one, and it's, it be the most obvious ones. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like like. You know, Go ahead. you know, SpongeBob's like the mean king though, because uh, you remember whenever he had the whole SpongeGar thing, where it was a little uh, caveman SpongeBob looking like, what's going on? <laughs> yes, yo, that was I forgot all about that one, but that was one of my favorite ones too, yo. That that one, oh, and then the one with uh, Mr. Krabs when there they tried for the pretty pants. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Krabs was classic. Um, I I don't even know where this punch this Patrick one just came out of nowhere. I don't even know where this one came from. Yeah, bro, because that 
I mean, because you can tell by the quality of the picture that that's a really, really old episode. Like, that's 1990s animation. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Then we'll get on the best costumes. So this has a wide range of attire, so it could be the best movie get up, um, you know, maybe something like maybe uh, what's the movie out? Tomb Raider, maybe Laura Croft and Tomb Raider's movie outfit could be that. Could be something real smooth somebody wore to the red carpet show at the Grammys, or it could even be a sports uniform. And there was really no other choice this year other than the Miami Vice jerseys that the Miami Heat had. That is smooth. Straight fire. Yeah. Flames. Yeah, man. Like those if you guys if you guys haven't seen that jersey, make just you know, do a quick quick Google. Um, it's literally one of the best jerseys that Nike has uh ever made. Ever. And ever. and um, you know, seeing D Wade in that jersey, like as soon as he got traded back to the Heat. That jersey, so not only that jersey, but any Miami Vice jersey sold out instantly, and it's it'll take you months to get one, honestly. So. Yeah, um, we actually got reports that LeBron wanted to go back to Miami just to, you know, have <laughs> a Miami Vice jersey with his name on, because it would be cool if he did it if he played for somebody else. But exactly, and that's a Game Six exclusive. Exactly. Game six exclusive. You know, none of that uh, Wolves bomb and uh, Schefter would mess. <laughs> nah. That's well, a game the, six drop. <laughs> what's the next category we got? I think we got uh, two more. We got one more. Unless I'm about to Steve Harvey it again. No, nah, one more. There's one more. <laughs> one more. Best original soundtrack. And it's got to go. To no, to none other than the man who swept it at the Grammys, Bruno Mars with Twenty Four Karat Magic, the album. Exactly, um, that album was great, man. I was I was not the biggest Bruno Mars fan prior to that album. I had a couple songs of his that I liked, but um, I don't know what made me even want to check it out, man. But when the album came out, I checked it out, and I, I loved it almost from the um, from the get go, man. It was it was pretty short. There's only nine songs. Um, but out of the nine songs, you have 24K Magic, which was popping. I actually did not like that song when it first came out. Um, uh, what's another popular song? That's what I like. Is you know, people love that song when it came out. And uh, um, finesse, people love finesse, finesse right now. Yeah, people loving finesse right now. Um, he got a couple other tracks that if you guys haven't heard the song, I need. I want you guys to check out. He got a call, song called "Calling All My Lovelies." That's a real smooth track right there. Um, another one that I think is cool is very, you know, real intimate type song, you know, for the ladies. Uh, it's called Versace on the Floor. Um, and another one that is pretty cool to look to is a uh, one of those 90s uh, uptown funk type of tracks is uh, Chunky. So, Chunky. Yeah. Those are the songs that have, you probably haven't heard on the radio. And if you haven't ever heard the, uh, the album, then you probably wouldn't even know about it. But Definitely worth a listen. Um, you know, what were some of your favorite tracks off the soundtrack? Well, I'm really a radio kind of guy, so <laughs> I probably like the that's what I like the most. I feel like that's the one I like the most. Finesse is already in 24 karat was good, but I like that's what I like the best. So Yeah, that was that was my one of my favorites before um 
people got a wind of it. And then uh, I teach out the video, and the video is pretty dope. The visual is pretty dope. I think that's what really helped propel it to, uh, you know, probably number one on the radio. But oh, yeah. It, it got, it, again, it got killed, man. Um, it, it, they killed it, but it's okay. You know, we can kill it sometimes. But that does lead us into our next topic, man. Um, speaking of Bruno Mars, people out here putting dirt on his name, man. Like, yeah, putting dirt on him. Hey, I don't know, man. <laughs> they had to like Bruno. Bruno done did something to him, man. It got so it was a video. If you guys haven't heard on, uh, I saw it on Twitter, but there was a video and he was trending over the, a couple of days ago, saying that he was guilty of cultural appropriation. Mm. Um, saying that you know he took the sound of, of black musicians and that uh, he wouldn't. Um, or Michael Jackson was brought into the conversation. They said Michael Jackson wouldn't be able to uh, be as popular as he was back in the day now because we like to hear black music from non-black folk, which I was taken aback by. And I'm not going to sit here and say whether the young lady in the video was right or wrong about that. But she was definitely wrong about Bruno Mars. Absolutely. Like, that's not even uh, a question. You know, what was your take on it um, that you got? Me, well... I don't know, like, just based on based on what I would call culture appropriation, like, uh, what he did is not culture appro- cultural appropriation. To me, he just always made music he liked. It seemed like he liked a lot of different kinds of music, like me. I like a lot of different kinds of music, and he's talented enough to where he can make a lot of different type of music, so you can't go against him for doing that. Um, whenever I actually think of cultural appropriation, um, I think of uh, not the actual people doing the music, because um, if they're talented enough, well, in most instances, if you're talented enough to make big money off of it, you got to have some kind of actual love for it and where it comes from to some extent. But um, whenever I think of cultural appropriation, I think of uh, what's the man that uh, from the... Uh, the guy that managed NWA at first. Oh yeah, he just passed away uh, last year. Uh, dang, um, it's Jerry Song. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> I know you're talking about though. I know you're talking about. But that's who I think of. I think of some guy who don't know anything about what it's like to make music. I mean, that sells music through his record label about killing people and selling drugs and what it's like in the hood and all that kind of stuff. But he never lived there. He'd been suburb shorty his whole life. To me, that's what it really is. Cultural appropriation. Jerry Heller. Yeah. There we go. Um, I I agree with you uh, in the sense that I, I think it has to do with people who are not, familiar with the culture and they're using it for whether it's you know financial gain social gain whatever it be um i disagree totally with the bruno mars thing a lot because he gives credit to his inspirations you know like and he's he's a talented enough guy to where he makes different types of music um you know and he's always been soulful you know what i'm saying like he, he has soulful songs way before 24k magic um and you know for different features with different artists and stuff like that and it's not like to me in his album, if he would have had like a whole bunch of features with a whole bunch of rappers, 
or something like that, and it just didn't really feel right type of thing, then I would kind of understand. But he, the album was pretty much all him. Um, his band, uh, if you watch him perform, he, he's got soul, man. Like, this ain't just some guy who's, like, using R&B for financial gains because that's what is popping right now. Like, he's he created his own lane. He's used different inspirations, different samples from that 90s funk type of music. Um, and it's worked for him because he got the talent to do so. Um, and he's doing it in his own way. And he may not be black, but he's not hes not like in a quote-unquote dominant uh, culture. You know, I think he's Filipino or like Spanish or Mexican or something like that. Like he's well, not... well, even with that, I don't even really regard the backlash to Justin Timberlake being like this. It wasn't. Which, which you would think that that's where it would come from more. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. And it's funny you bring up Justin Timberlake because, you know, people really kind of, you know, fell off the, the, the bandwagon with him. Like, when he had I'm Sexy back, people was loving Justin. Um, and right after he left um, NSYNC. Um, but, you know, recently he got this song called, like, Man in the Woods. People don't feel that. He got, like, this country music type vibe. And that's when people start to say, like, okay, you used your you know, R and B or you use Timbaland and stuff like that to to get quote unquote style points or cool points and to make music that you don't really uh agree with like that. Like, you know, that's why people didn't like the fact that he gave a print tribute to Prince because he dissed Prince when they were alive. Like in a song and on stage at one of the award shows. So, you know, that's interesting you brought up Justin Timberlake. I think there's a better argument to say that he is guilty of cultural, cultural appropriation. Um, and people even say, like, Drake was guilty of it. I never felt that way about Drake, though. Well, Drake is just, like, really mainstream. Yeah. It's like, uh, I don't know, it's like his music just connect with a multitude of people. Like, you know, everybody can't connect with um, Flicky with the sticky on. You know what I'm saying? Everybody can't connect <laughs> with it. So... I, I would one thing I'll say about Drake is I don't think he's guilty of cultural appropriation, but I do think that he's guilty of swagger jacking um, and taking something that somebody lesser known uh, does and he thinks is cool, so he'll do it, and then like you say, he'll make it mainstream, and then all of a sudden people will give Drake credit for it. Um, I think that is something that he's guilty of, um, part of which he can't really control, but. Somebody I mean, but that's like rap, though. Like, I mean, like, cause he's a rapper, so like, you know, people. I mean, like, everybody bit somebody's style. Like, Eminem don't even got his own style. Like, cause um, he does like sandwich rapping, and I watched a interview where he specifically told where he got his style from. Like, unless you're like one of the first to do it, like nobody really has their own quote unquote style in rap, unless like you're really the first to do something. I, I I definitely agree with that, especially when it comes to rap. The reason why I say Drake Swaggerjacks because he changes it up so much, and a lot of it has to do with different influences. Like, and I'll use his most recent song or feature, for example, um, that song "Look Alive" that he got with uh, Block Boy. Um, well, yeah, well, yeah, song, Drake is different because he'll do whatever's hot at the moment. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So, and like that that song, I think Block Boy's from Memphis. Now, granted, he spent a lot of time in Memphis when he was younger. His dad is from Memphis, um, so he does get a lot of inspiration from Memphis. Don't you know? I think people miss that. But Project Pat uh, had a song or a verse 
that sound really similar to what Drake was saying and uh in that song Look Alive. Um so and people were saying that he was biting. I think that he was giving homage, paying homage, but you know, with his past, it's hard to defend him sometimes with different uh cases of being guilty of swagger jacking. But nevertheless, point is we both dis- uh we both agree that Bruno Mars is not guilty of cultural cultural appropriation, but there are some people out there like a Miley Cyrus, like a Katy Perry, who use cultural appropriation. Like they Katy Perry, for example, she makes pop music, but she'll grab the Migos, you know, trying to get cool or trying to, you know, make that hit song so that it connects with a different audience or whatever. And it just does things unnaturally. And it's like clearly you're you're just using them to um to gain, like I said, a, a bigger fan base or a different fan base, different genre or demographic of people um, that you wouldn't get otherwise instead of just doing whatever works for you. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's like a money grab type of thing. Molly Cyrus, she's guilty of it for me because, you know, she had a moment where she was twerking all up on the stage and everything like that, messing with uh, DJ Mike Will made it or whatever. Now all of a sudden she don't, she don't like rap music because of the, the uh, it's demeaning and degrading the women and stuff like that. Like, come on, son. You it wasn't demeaning and degrading when you were shaking your butt in, in videos. Oh, so she is also justice warrior now. Yeah. So, but uh, but to her credit, that song Katy Perry made with Juicy J back in 2013, 2014, that song was hot. That that song was okay. Uh, I think I know what you're talking about. I'm not too against that. And she did have a song with Kanye West that I thought was all right, but the one with the Migos, nah. And, and you know that's when I was I was like okay yeah she's just doing this because she fell off and she now she's trying to get back uh, on the boat but um, I mean but then where did those guys fall in it though like uh, whenever Kendrick Lamar go and do um, a song with whoever's in the Billboard Top Forty like where's his fault in it I don't I, I, he does have a song with Taylor Swift. Or he had a remix with Taylor Swift on Bad Blood. I don't consider that cultural appropriation. Um, and Taylor Swift have, you know, some people have said that she is guilty of it. I don't follow her enough to say whether she does or doesn't. I don't think she does. Um, but, you know, I don't I don't look, I don't, I'm not saying that you got to stick to your own genre of music. And I'm not saying you can't collab with other people. But if it's for, if, if, if I feel like it's forced and I feel like it's a money grab, then I feel like you're more guilty of doing it. With, uh, for cultural appropriation like if I was a rapper I wouldn't mind doing a song with Taylor Swift because I actually listened to some of her music or at least some of her earlier music and if I felt like it was a song that I can contribute to and it would be hot I would you know reach out or if she reached out to me and said yo I want you to get on this song and I liked it I would do it that's that's totally different if you're out here saying okay I'm Katy Perry and I haven't had a hit song in a couple of years well, when I had a hit song with Juicy, when I had a song with Juicy J, it clicked. When I had a song with Kanye West, it clicked. Let's see who's hot right now. Oh, Migos. All right, let's see if we could do something to, to make it pop. You know what I'm saying? And, and while we on stage performing, I'm going to be over here trying to act like I'm some type of b b girl. You know, doing all this other nonsense, looking awkward and crazy and cringeworthy. Then I'm like, okay, now you need to chill out. Or from Miley Cyrus, I'm like. Oh, I want to get back. Into, I want to start twerking again. And twerking is, you know, I put twerking on the mainstream. So who's the best person to make a song that's like really hot with the with the urban community right now? Oh, Mike Will made it. 
Juicy J? All right, I'm going to make a song with them. What's the most generic hip-hop urban thing I could think of? Oh, Michael Jordan, Jays? All right, I'm going to do that. <laughs> that was a bunny girl. Like, come on, son. So, the, like, that. that's when I'm like, all right, son, you're doing too much. And then for both of them, and I, that's why I said they both have came out and said different things about hip-hop and, and disres- not disrespecting it, but, like, talking down on it, saying, like, it's degrading and everything like that. But it wasn't degrading when you were profit. You had the, yeah, when you profit off, you had the Migos and everything like that. You know what I'm saying? Like, that, that's that's what I'm saying. Like, nah, you can't get away with that. Um, well, well, I got two other takes on cultural appropriation. One, not so uh, serious, but was it cultural appropriation in the early 2000s whenever Eminem was walking around in do-rags? <laughs> no damn way. He <laughs> was getting no way. <laughs> I did. It's funny because a lot of people did bring up Eminem. I never really felt like he was appropriating the culture. I think that he was raised off of this culture. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't, I don't consider that. But I mean, well, he like, I mean, to me, he gives like that feel like Machine Gun Kelly. He like, you know, grew up white trash, and he just like kind of associated with that group more because they're closer to what he know. You know, yeah. he can't identify more with a lower class black person than he can an upper class white person. Which right. makes sense. It makes all the sense in the world because they don't have the same job that she do. But that was just a joke. Um, yeah. On the serious tip though, not looking at it from like a skin tone type of perspective, but like people, especially in hip hop, who make music about lives they don't live. Okay. Like, uh, you know, whenever you say that, the first thing you think of is like, you know, Lil Wayne or Rick Ross, like, you know, CO officer talking about being king of Miami, selling drugs. But that's not where I was going with it. I recently, well, not recently, it might be in a month or two now, but 21 Savage did a Breakfast Club interview and they asked him about his views toward women because, you know, he makes music very demeaning toward women. And uh, but he dates Amber Rose, which ironically enough, who does the slut walk, is supposed to be like you know big on women's rights. But um, and they asked like, what's his views on that, and if he really treat women like that, and he was like, nah, I, I don't. I just make that music for that shit sell. Like that's what he said. Yeah. So like, how do you feel about that? You think that's cultural appropriation or? I don't think that's cultural. I don't. I wouldn't say cultural appropriation. I do think there's a little bit of. Fronting with it, and I think he's low key lying. <laughs> like, like no, like I, I don't believe that. All of a sudden, I'm not saying that he's a savage and that he just out here disrespecting women. But I also don't believe that before he met Amber Rose and before he was on, uh, in the in the spotlight, that he treated women with the utmost respect all the time. I, I, I mean, well, well, no, he was saying he had a different kind of respect for women now, and he don't treat women okay. like that. That's what, that's yeah. what I got from it. Okay, well then that's that's fair. Then I don't consider that cultural appropriation at all. I think that's just him maturing. And as as much as I think that their relationship is a sham, I do believe that there's something to say about you know him learning a little bit more um, and opening his mind um, to women's rights and stuff like that and how to respect women. I do think there's something to that. But I mean, um, but I mean, but he said he's still gonna make that kind of music because it sells. Yeah, I mean. Hey, um, as another word for it, it's not cultural appropriation because he was once, he's still a part of that culture. Um, 
and that that type of genre and everything like that. But there it might be a little bit of front into it, you know what I'm saying? It's not just being like quote unquote not being a hundred or whatever. Um yeah, you know, because that because it's it's like certain people who make music about like Jay Z and everybody else, like rappers today, they make music about killing people or going to do this, they're gonna run up on the ops and whatever. Majority of those people aren't doing it. They might have, maybe they did it in the past. I doubt it, but maybe some of them did it in the past. They're definitely not doing it right now. So, oh yeah, definitely ain't. You know, well, no, nah. I don't know. I mean, well, well, now nah, it depends on like because in the earlier stages of hip hop. A lot of them guys, they still did do it because, because uh, like you know, it's like how we were talking about before, where NBA players know their value. Now rappers know their value, so once they make it, they make it. But before they sit here getting screwed by record labels, and like you know, they don't control their own fate. Before back in the day, that would have been the case, but with today's generation, no, not so much. Right. But speaking of which. And today's rappers and stuff like that, man. These kids today. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You got the you got this guy, um, Lil Xan. Uh, Short for name, Exactly. Um, his real name I forgot his real name. It's something weird, like Diego. That's his name, Diego. Um, he's out here. He was on some type of uh, network. I don't know which one. Or something. It might have been Revolt. Yeah, some platform saying, um, uh, you know, they had a, a like a, a contest or a, something where they was asking them like who's who got the most clout points or whatever out of schedule, you know, one to ten. And um, I saw that he had great gave Drake a eight right before. You know, his reason was saying that you know Drake's hot right now, whatever, whatever. Um, and then they asked him about Tupac, which this is always a trap asking these young kids. I think he's 21. He's a little bit older, but um, actually his kids about what they think about Tupac's guys who they, for a fact, did not listen to when they were younger. So, um, and they probably haven't been too exposed to, but he had the nerve. This way he messed up. He had the nerve to say he gave Tupac a, a two out of 10 and he mm. said his music is boring. Now, yeah, I don't know what music a Tupac he's listening to, um, but he had, must have ain't heard of uh, I Get Around. Um, he clearly ain't heard Hit Him Up. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I don't know. He clearly ain't heard uh, Hell Mary. Like these these songs ain't boring, man. I don't know what dude was talking about. It was it was pretty dis- disrespectful as well. Um, in my in my opinion, uh, what did you think about that when you heard that? Well, on the whole, clout scale, like. I could see, like, I wouldn't give Drake an eight, but I would give him, like, somewhere six to eight because, like, you know, Klaus, like, influence, you know, pool, power, yeah. stuff like that. And, like, you know, he's so mainstream that, like, you know, like, like, you know, Pop broke the glass ceiling at the time. So whenever he blew up the way he did, hip-hop got that closer to mainstream. And whenever Eminem blew up the way he did, it got that closer to mainstream. And I think Drake kind of did that, too. Um, this is me personally. That's what I think. So I would give him a score, like you know, kind of that high. But Pac is like, Pac is probably the most influent. He's probably not. Nah, I'd say Jay is one because we went through like probably a ten year period where like every rapper that came out wanted to be Jay. But 
Pop's probably like number two all times in terms of influence on the rap game. So it's no way he could give that man that score. But I think what it really comes down to whenever you look at it, because if you look at the top 10 songs on rap today, half them guys probably can't put two words together and they can't name you an artist that came before 2004. Right. That's most of it come from, bro. And the thing that annoys me with these guys, man, is that one, y'all not even good. Like, I could see if LeBron James when he came out and he was talking crazy about Michael Jordan and whatnot because he was nice. But you can't have uh, who's one Sebastian Telfair out here talking like Isaiah Thomas for the Pistons wasn't nice <laughs> or Matthew Johnson wasn't nice. Like you can't do that. You can't say that. I don't care if it's a different era. I don't care if you ain't watching play. Look at look. Do your Googles. You know what I'm saying? Do your look up your highlights. Look up your stats. Look up their impact. And, and, and be respectful of the people that came before you. Don't be out here talking about some Tupac's music is boring. I can't name one song from this kid. Um, like, I could see if he had a one-hit wonder, that's one song that was low-key popping. Yeah, I can't name this kid one song. The only reason why I even know who he is, because he his name is Lil Xan. And that interview. And that, and that interview. Like, I, I, I don't I don't see what's popping. Like, I don't, I don't get it. So... And I as as much as I'm 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 not young like you know I'm not really like in that you know high school age where I'm looking at all the young popping rappers like that but I'm also pretty familiar at least with different artists like I don't like Lil Pump but I know who he is and I can name you a song or two that like, is true <laughs> but like even when Lil Yachty first came out I knew like a song or two of his I don't, you can't name one song for this kid and you talking about how somebody music is boring you boring dog what are you talking about get out of here anyway. I'm off. Anyway, well, let's see what else. Well, I went on the good old Apple Music, and you can go and subscribe today. Um, that was our plug for the day. Maybe they'll take notice and give us some <laughs> advertisement. <laughs> we can reach all five listeners. <laughs> nah, let me stop. A little bit bigger. A little bit. But uh, I went and listened, and like you know, like you said, he's a garbage rapper, but same time, like, a lot of the guys that are big rappers today, well, not big, but, like, you know, they're out there, like Migos, 21 Savage, those guys are garbage rappers, too, you know. They can't rhyme nothing outside of hat, cat, and rat. Um, so, I mean, he make music that's pretty much on their level. But, you know, there's always been garbage rap, but it always had its place. But now that place is more so at the forefront. Like uh, you know, back you know, like back in the day, they did have like you know, YouTube Live. I mean, not a YouTube Live, but Two Live Crew. They won't come in with the bars, and Uncle Lou, he won't spit and fire. But like you know, they always had that place, and like even before that, the uh, Hump D Dance and stuff like that, they always had a place. But it's just people not knowing the history, like um. Whenever, like, LeBron or Kobe always talk about what drives them and what's their inspiration, you can tell that they're well-knowledged in where the game came from, and they pick up different things from the game. And, like, even, like, you know, like we were talking earlier, whenever rappers, not Swaggerjack, but they draw influence, like, you know, they pick up things that are nice and work, and they study the game, and they perfect it. These guys... 
they just going out there hitting some hi hats and some eight oh eights and just yelling and rhyming three letter words over it, talking about drugs. Exactly. I mean, that's really all they're doing. Yeah, and um, I'm I'm just like, if anything, you need to uh, you need to listen to Born Old Tupac. Maybe get some inspiration, like you said, and, and your music would be better. Maybe I don't know, but that's all but I got. Also, in his defense, if I'm in my playlist and I'm scrolling and it's some Tupac songs on, they are born at the time. Like I got me in the mood to listen to some of it. Whoa, whoa! And I, I try. Listen, I, I, I like a lot. I got like ten to thirteen, and I'm not the biggest Tupac fan. I'm not going to act like I listened to the whole album, but. I did go through it. I was like, hmm, out of the two part songs that I got on my Apple Music subscription, uh, <laughs> what song, <laughs> uh, like, what songs are actually like lit, and which ones are boring? And the ones I like, like I said, the ones I, I got, and I'm gonna go through it real quick. Um, California Love, come on, that that's boring. Like you hear that beat, come on, that you bored all of a sudden. Like I'm, I'm weird. I got different playlists. I got like a West Coast, East Coast. I got old school. I got new school type playlists. So, you know, whenever whenever I am in the mood for different music, I have different so I have different songs to play. I can see if you said Brendan's got a baby, I can see if you say that's boring. I get it. Like you're young, you probably don't want to listen to something with some substance. I get it. <laughs> but um you can't tell me California Love is boring. You can't tell me I get around is boring. You can't tell me um what a hit 'em up is boring. I think how do you want it? It's a slow type of, you know, I guess you could say like uh, you know, get in the mood type song. I guess depending on what you went to, but oh no, nah, because the way I mean the tone, I mean like the way he rap on it, it ain't boring. Yeah, exactly. So that one, how do you want it with Jodeci of all people, dog? Then you got um, two of America's most wanted. Um, yeah, I, I don't think it's boring. And even get your keep your head up is. Um, it's not really meant like to be a club song, whatever. Like that's one of those songs I do. I gotta, I gotta be in the mood. Well, see, that's the problem. Cause to them, if it ain't a club banger, it ain't music. Yeah, it's just boring rap. Well, that then that's their fault. <laughs> especially, especially because dude, twenty one years old, dog. Like, come on, son, come on. I wasn't really, you know, Tupac died in ninety six. I was born in ninety three. I wasn't. It wasn't like I was listening to Tupac on the radio when I was in my adolescence all the time, but. I did my Googles, I did my history, and I was like, oh, snap, Tupac got some hits. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, it ain't too hard, dog. Yeah, really ain't. But uh, that's enough for uh, that little whippersnapper. Yeah. Got me hot. <laughs> I ain't that man. But something that is hot, these NFL moves, man. Like, oh, yeah. Ooh, white hot. <laughs> white hot, boy. You can't I'm talking can't get enough of the stuff like like it's uh it's like how um we were talking off the air um earlier and you were saying it's like how uh NBA was last year it yeah. reminds me how baseball free agency used to be when baseball was big that's what it really reminds me of whenever you had guys signing big ridiculous contracts that's what it reminds me of and just guys willing and dealing but like you know for whatever reason baseball I guess because they're getting more into analytics, like they're not spending as much money as they used to, and they're like kind of hesitant to take on a thirty-nine-year-old pitcher who wants a ten-year contract worth twenty million dollars a year. 
which is dumb that they used to do that. But hey, um, exactly. Yeah, it's a lot of moves that's been made. So I guess I'll let you start. Uh, what kind of stood out to you the most so far? That the Browns trying to make me nervous, man. The Browns over here trying to be competent again, or uh, for the first time ever. I don't know. Um, first time in yeah, first time in a long time, and they 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 made a trade to get Tyrod Taylor, very very capable, I think above average quarterback. Um, they got Car- uh, Carlos Hyde, who's a very decent running back, um, and they got Jarvis Landry, which was a steal because now they they could team him up with Josh Gordon. Um, the guy Joe, Joe Thomas uh, did retire, but um, you know they made some moves out there to, to 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 actually try to win the game for the first time in about three, four years, or more than one game, rather. Um, Saying they're doing trust in the process, bro. Exactly. And the the reason why I'm nervous as a Giants fan with the second overall pick is that um, there's been a lot of of hype about uh, Saquon Barkley. I thought that the Browns were going to be smart and draft him uh, first overall so that they could have a, a, you know, a stud running back, um, uh, two great receivers, maybe even three. Cause they do got one more receiver who was slept on and, and, and a decent quarterback and actually go out here and win some games. Cause the defense has been okay. Not, not, it's, it's not great, but it, it, you know, this is good enough to win you a couple of games. Um, there you go. Yeah. So I, 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 that's what I was nervous about, but there's, there's still talk that they may get, you know, draft the quarterback because they still need um, that future quarterback. Cause they don't have that. They did trade Deshaun Kaiser away. Um, which I thought was kind of messed up, but whatever. Um, so they don't have any quarterbacks other than Tyrod really on the roster right now. But um, Hugh Jackson did come out and say that Tyrod is the definite starter going into the season. That there won't be any type of Q- uh, QB competition, which I think is interesting. If they do decide to go with a quarterback, first of all, um, the reason why I'm happy now is that the Jets just traded. Uh, they just gave the, the mother load to the Indianapolis Colts for the third overall pick, um, the Jets used to have the sixth pick. Now they moved up to third. So the reason why that's a big deal is because now the thing with the Browns was they could have went running back first, um, and then they had the fourth pick. So they could have got a quarterback. It could have been, who knows, Sam Darnold, Josh Rosen, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, any of these quarterbacks, Baker Mayfield, whoever you want, um, at the fourth overall pick, which is great to have the first and fourth pick. Um, but now that the Jets, who we know needs a quarterback or want a young quarterback, moved up to third, um, the Browns may secure um, a, a QB first. I think they're going to go with Sam Darnold. And then for the fourth pick, they may go with uh, the starting offensive lineman from Notre Dame, who I think a lot of people are saying is like a surefire, uh, can't-miss prospect for the offensive line. So. That's what they may do. I'm hoping that they do. I'm hoping that they do go with that strategy because I think the Giants can get Saquon Barkley with that second pick, and that would be huge. Like, uh, as a fan, that's what I, that's all I really want. Man, well, I tell you what, that's the fan talking, cause <laughs> that's the fan talking. Cause. Yeah, yeah, you know, fans. You know, with fans, you talking to the fans. Yeah, make that weird noise. <laughs> just the fan talking. <laughs> Man, it's just my personal philosophy, which I use whenever here's a, another advertisement plug, which I use whenever I play my connected franchise mode on Madden EA Sports. It's in the game. 
<laughs> um, I don't pay big money to running backs and receivers. And the same way I wouldn't pay big money to a running back or receiver, I wouldn't draft them that high. Um, it's like an interior offensive lineman. I wouldn't draft them that high, even though I think they're valuable. I wouldn't draft them that high because you can find them all the way throughout the draft. And I feel the same is true of um, like you know receivers and running backs. Now, if you got Adrian Peterson, you know that's different. If you got Megatron, it's different. But that's just me personally. That's how I roll with it. Um, now, if you are looking at it from that perspective, Cleveland could still take Saquon first because even though I think Sam Darnold's the best quarterback in the draft, that's what I think. I think the best quarterback for them may be Josh Allen because – Pittsburgh's been doing it, and Baltimore's been doing it, and whenever you're playing outdoors up north during the winter, you want a big, strong guy with a big, strong arm. And Josh Allen has all the measurables um, in terms of, like, you know, tangibles. He's He got the best metrics. He got really good arm strength. His accuracy is something – it's not not as like scouts aren't as big on it, but I just feel like for them personally, he may be the best fit. So they could do that. And the Browns being the way that the Browns are, I don't put it past them to do it. Like, you know, it's like how the 76ers would do stuff that wouldn't make no sense and people just couldn't see it. I could see the Browns doing it for that reason, but that's kind of what I would see them doing. Even though I wouldn't take the running back, if I were them, I would take Chubb and Josh Allen. That's who I would take. Well, you know, I would. I hope they do because, um, you know, I can understand why people say you don't want to run it back and everything like that. The reason why um, I think it's perfect for the Giants because we haven't had a running back that was worth anything in years. Um, really, Tiki Barber is the only one who's been with the team for most, most if not all of his career. And was you know pro, a perennial Pro Bowler or you know All Pro. Um, Brandon Jacobs put in work for y'all. We, no, you, Brandon you, Jacobs put in work, but he was running back by we were running back by committee, low key. We had Earth, uh, Earth, Wind and Thunder or whatever they called it. With uh, I forget dudes' names, but they had we had this dude named Grant. Uh, we had Jacobs. We had Amar Bradshaw. We had some good pieces put together. But we didn't have that one bell cow who could just go out and get 20 carries and get 100 yards. Um, we haven't had that. Like, now they're trying to get Paul Perkins. Like, I what? I never heard of dude. We, we drafted this dude out of Boston College a couple of years ago. I think it was named Andre Williams. He had 2,000 yards rushing in college. I thought he was going to be something. He, the dude can't catch. Like, he had no catches in high college. Well, Boston College, so yeah. there you go. Yeah, but the thing about Saquon is that that, that people are loving – is that he's an all-around back. He's a great blocker um, for a running back at his at his age and at his you know size. Uh, he can catch out the backfield. We've seen him run kickoff returns. We've seen him run catch out the backfield, and we've seen him run between the tackles and make guys miss. I think he ran like a four-three or four-four. Um, so it, it's great for him. He can do all things, and for us, Eli, who I think has still got some something left in the tank. Um, hopefully, um, 
Odell comes back healthy. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully Odell comes back healthy and and not on that that booger sugar. Um, And, you know, we still got Sterling Stepper. Like, we got pieces around to where he won't be the focal point, but he can make a huge impact, similar to what Zeke Elliott did a couple years ago. Um, And we did just get Nate Solder, um, who's a, a great starting left guard, I mean left tackle. So we got we got pieces in place to where Saquon could be a part of the future, and I think we could find a quarterback elsewhere, like at another time. Like quarter, you know, I'm not going to say quarterbacks are you can get everyone to you know great one in their draft or everything, but there's no quarterback in this draft that's like you got to have him. So why use? And we already have a quarterback, honestly. Like people give Eli Manning a hard time, but this dude has never missed a game. Like he's he, he's he's uh, the best. Uh, ability is availability, and he's been there. So, um, and he's won two Super Bowls. Like, uh, he he's not Tom Brady, he's not Peyton Manning, but he's good enough to win championships. We've seen that. And just two seasons ago, we had a top three defense. So, it, it's there. The pieces are there. What we need is to get some offensive firepower. Um, and I think Saquon could be the start of something big. So, I hope we do do that. But there's some other big moves too, like, um, I can't think off the top of my head, but like I said, the trades with the Browns, um, Danny Woodhead retired, um, you know, and Dominican Sue got released, Jordy Nelson got released, and he signed with the Raiders. The Raiders released Michael Crabtree, and what about the Seahawks blowing up, bro? Oh yeah, the Seahawks. Yeah, that was that was a big thing too. For <laughs> yeah, exactly. They they ain't playing no games. I don't know, man. I, I don't. I think it's very possible that the 49ers can uh, can win that division now, honestly. Uh, you know, not because they signed Richard Sherman, but because, you know, that, that they got some, like, they they got some weird belief and faith in uh in your boy, uh, Jimmy Garoppolo. And, you know, it's only a small sample size, but the dude hasn't lost a game that he started. Um, so there's something to that. He doesn't put up the best stats, you know, if you want to compare. Honestly, Colin Kaepernick's stats are very comparable to um, to Jimmy Garoppolo's, but he wins games. Um, so, yeah, that's the one place where they ain't comparable. Yeah. So, he, well, I wouldn't say they – I wouldn't say they – let's not say – let's not act like Colin Kaepernick ain't go to the Super Bowl now. Let's not just – Well, again, let's not act like he didn't do that with his top defense and pretty good O-line and also Frank Gore and – Randy Moss and Michael Crabtree and Anquan Ball and also I could have guarded Randy Moss when they had Randy Moss. And I don't even think Randy Moss is on that team that went to the championship with them. But he did have Anquan Bolden, who was a, a very good um, – he's past his prime, way past his prime. This well, two years he had those guys. Those two years because it was – they were really good. I don't even think his – it was really Vernon Davis. That was like his top – Vernon Davis, bro. He had Vernon Davis, but the the Anquan Bolden of the Ravens was a different beast, not the 49ers. And then Michael Crabtree didn't really become Michael Crabtree until a couple of years ago. Um, he's been a low-key bust prior to that. But, yes, the, the, the 49ers team was good, but how many – this is not basketball. How many players, and quarterbacks especially – do have scrub teams or average teams that take them and drag them to the championship. Like we just gave Nick Foles a whole bunch of praise, but they had one of the best front lines in the NFL. They had a, a simple scheme that worked for him, which is the run pass option. That was um, almost unguardable. 
and they had a, a solid running game and solid receivers. So same thing with Nick Foles, <laughs> who went to the Super Bowl, you know, and and, and made well, plays. The difference with uh, your boy Jimmy G, he took this team that couldn't buy a win and did not lose. Out, yes, and that's why I give that's why I give him credit. Uh, that's why I think there's something to that. Same team, Copper, that Kaepernick had last year. That's that's not true. Pretty that's, much, it was the same team. No, because Kyle Shanahan, Kyle Shanahan, and we've seen it. Kyle Shanahan is a way different coach than Chip Kelly, and it was a lot of players that did not come back. Um, you know, that that was there last year. And plus, Colin Kaepernick came off of an injury last year. That's what people don't don't remember. He came off of an injury. Um, well, not last year, but two years ago. He was coming off of an injury. So, um, he. I'm not saying that, you know, he's a starter in this league. I'm not sure at this point. I want to, you know, it's been two years since we've seen him. But he, he's better than a lot of backups and some starters. Um, i tell you what, he's an XFL starter. Nah, he he actually posted a video of uh of him throwing the football and working out a little bit. I think he's gonna. I saw the video. Huh? I saw the video. He did look good, but yeah, he looked he looked pretty good. And and we'll we'll see what what teams do with that because that's what they were wanting a couple of years ago. They was like, oh, we want to see we want to see you talk. We want to see you work out. Whatever, whatever. We are gonna see. Um, put the money with the methods. Is probably like unless the NFL itself. Actually, you know, after we did our first episode and we were talking about that, like, I thought about it for, like, two hours the next day, like, just thinking, like, how could the XFL bring him on whenever they're trying to appeal to the red, to the red-blooded American? Um, I actually thought about it and got a pretty good pitch. And this is really the only way he could work in the NFL, too, because just the way the climate is with the kneeling and stuff, but. They signed him, and they was like, oh, well, what's your stance on Neil? What's your stance on Neil? And he didn't say anything, just built up the hype. He came out and said, I'm not doing the Neil. I'm done with it. Um, I said that I did that to get my point across and points across. Now I'm working with this league, and this league is going to donate to XYZ Foundation, and they're going to put in everything that my fans put in throughout the course of this season. So I need all my fans to go donate, da-da-da-da-da, use this. And I feel like that's a way that could work in the XFL. Like, I thought about that for two hours. And I was able to come up with that. And I think it would work. Like, I think people would be like, oh, dang, they're doing that? They're doing that for you? Well, you know what? Even though they're saying they're appealing to this and this, they ain't half bad. I might watch that. And you're going to watch it anyway because it's the summer. and ain't no other football but the World Cup. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, we'll we'll see how that works out. Um, what I will yeah. is this summer. It is, uh, and uh, yo, Charlotte out here, are they taking, bro? Charlotte, it, no wait, they picked up Tory Smith, didn't they? Ooh, oh no, 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 oh the Panthers pickup too. That was another pickup that I thought was interesting. Oh, and one thing to note, they had a cornerback that they tried to pick up, Jonathan something. Um, and he failed the physical, um, so he can't sign with them, which I thought was crazy, because uh, he was a they they need they need help on defense. Um, but no, I was talking about the, the Charlotte Hornets. Um, I saw who they had on the court, and I was like, oh, they trying <laughs> they trying to tank, huh? <laughs> but because uh, they losing one hundred and one to sixty seven to the Knicks, who do not have Christopher Singles. 
So, um, yeah. Anyway, um, no, I, I, I agree with you. You know, we'll see how the XFL turn out. I don't, like I said a couple episodes ago, I don't really have much to say about it till it happens. Um, but I do think that this next NFL season should be pretty exciting because it's no longer just, oh, the Patriots are going to go 19-0. Uh, even though people were saying that last year, um, we don't really know now. And, I, I, you know, with the teams like Seattle, um, you know, breaking up their defense, uh, it's not like an automatic bid that they're going to win their division like people thought this year. Um, the Vikings got their quarterback of the future, question mark, uh, Kirk Cousins. Um, and Case Keenum signed with the Broncos. So Broncos got a competent quarterback, at, you know, finally back in Denver. Who knows? Question mark. I don't know. Um, Teddy Bridgewater did not get resigned by the uh, Vikings. You know they uh, he got picked up for yeah he's a Jet now one year one year deal. Um, the Jets resigned Josh McCown. Um, so I will see how that works out because they they just moved up to the third spot. So you got to figure they're looking to draft another young QB. Um, so I guess we'll see. Um, yeah, no botch again. Yeah, exactly. Uh, they probably take Baker Mayfield. <laughs> I think they're going to take Josh Rosen. Um, another, I think he's a, I think he's a uh, New York. The thing with him though, and you mentioned it with Josh Allen and the cold weather and stuff like that. Um, Rosen is brittle. You know, he's get he gets injured a lot, and he hasn't uh, played in a, a cold weather weather city. Um, he's always played in California, so that'll be interesting to see. I do think he's probably on their radar though. Um, more so than Allen or Mayfield or anything like that. Um, but uh, those were some some interesting moves for QBs. Uh, the Cardinals picked up uh, Sam Bradford um, as well. Interesting at all? <laughs> I, thought it was inter- I, th- I thought it was interesting because he played well when he was there. Like he gets hurt a lot, but he played well when he was there, and I think they need a quarterback. They they needed something. Uh, Adrian Peterson is is a free agent right now, so you know we'll see how that turns out. Um, and Tyron Matthew, you know the Honey Badger, he got released by the Cardinals um, and assigned with the Texans, which is you know they already had a great defense. So hopefully Deshaun Watson and can get healthy because I think they can make the playoffs next year. Um, well, yeah, they'll be coming off a. Uh... Last place schedule. I think they got last place in their division, didn't they? This year? No. Yeah. But they'll be coming off the next to last place schedule, so they do have a chance. Like, that Like that does make a big difference for teams. Um, schedule, yeah. To play lesser competition because you came last place, which helps with the parity, so I don't mind it. But that, but that is the reason why they can uh, kind of come up some. Exactly. Um. So hopefully JJ White is back healthy, you know, and healthy. Hopefully, uh, Clowney too. I think Clowney was hurt, but that's a team that should be fun. Uh, I like Deshaun Watson a lot. Um, he he showed me something. Um, but yeah. So did... well, how about you? Kind of glossed over it, but man, something groundbreaking happened. Oh um, well, I was gonna say we'll talk about the biggest winner this offseason, but we'll talk about the second biggest winner first. Kirk Cousins is the second biggest winner of this offseason, bro. Like, 100% guaranteed contract. He can go down tomorrow. Well, now, I'm not sure it works like that, but 
he can get hurt during the season, and that money's guaranteed, bro. Yeah. He gets 100% of it. That's crazy. And it that was is. so much. It was so much. 84. Yeah. Yeah. He's on a really good team, too, man. So he's not going to be asked to do too much like he, he was in uh in Washington. Like, um, you know, hopefully Dalvin Cook can come back. He was he showed great signs. Um, you know, I, I like Stephon Diggs a lot as a receiver. Um, before he had that great play, um, and they had a good defense too. So, you know, now that they got a quarterback who seems to be consistent or not consistent, but seems to be healthy, um, have some consistent consistency at that position. We'll see what they can do with it, man. We'll see what we can do. Yeah, but but the biggest winner, the biggest winner by far, Aaron Rodgers. Because as soon as Kirk Cousins got that deal, his price tag went up for next year. Oh, yeah. Facts. His price, like, you can mm, – like, Green Bay almost has to guarantee him $150 million. <laughs> Pretty much. The person that really messed up the market was Tom Brady. Um because he's the winningest quarterback and one of the winningest in, in the history of the league. But um, he he constantly takes discounts, man. And, and it's hard to 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 be – because, like, honestly, Aaron Rodgers, yes, I think he's one the best QB in the league. But it's, you know, it's also like how many – you know, how, how often have you won? Dog? Like, you, you won one Super Bowl. Eli, Eli Manning got two. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So Yeah. It's hard for me to to break the bank. Like I'm, you're gonna get more money than Kirk Cousins, but I, if I was the Packers, I'm not going to uh, quote unquote bring out the Brinks truck for him. Like you want Packers, to, they don't spend money elsewhere. Yeah, I guess so. But if to. I if, if I'm them, like he's been taking pay cuts for them to do more, but they don't. Oh, okay, now if he's been taking pay cuts, then uh, yeah, he 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 uh, he about to come up. I yeah, yeah. Like you know, for the longest Brady was taking pay cuts, but um, it's pretty much the same deal. Like he been taking pay cuts. I think he might make like twelve a year, which that's still a lot. But like, it's not. I, like I don't think he's top five. He might not be top five. He's which definitely is, not top five right now. Which is crazy to think about. Yeah, yeah. Like he's definitely not top five. But um. Yeah, man, there's a lot of crazy stuff going on in the NFL. Yes, sir. Season should be very interesting next year. Really looking forward to it. Um, as usual, my Cowboys don't make any moves; they just say <laughs> dumb shit. So you know, <laughs> so back, right? We can do what we do. See, the only time a like a running back like that matters is whenever you have a team like the Cowboys. That's the only time a running back like that matters. <laughs> oh, yeah. Let it be known. I definitely wanted Zeke because I think we had like the 10th pick that year. I really wanted I Zeke. Got him. Yeah. Uh, I, I really wanted Zeke that year. Um, but that's why I'm so thirsty for a pause for uh, Saquon Bartley because um, we, we, we missed out on you know, Gurley, Zeke, like um, you know, and there's there's other running backs like in, in the later rounds that could be good, but you got can't miss prospects, and I think the running back is making a comeback. So that's my thing. But um, what else we got on the docket, man? Well, before we give our game six performances of the week, 
it is March Madness. So, you know, we got to embrace the madness, brother, as uh, Randy Savage would say. And, uh, for game six madness, we're doing our own bracket. Yeah. So it'll be what we consider to be the most game six moments or things to have happened. All right. time. All time. All time. And, and cue the uh, cue the future music, March Madness. <laughs> cue that. Um, but all time, you know, and if there happens to be something that you, th- you guys think that we missed, you know, let us know. Hit us up. Let us know your, your suggestions or whatnot. But this is what we came up with. Um, and, and, you know, let's get started with uh, round one, the round of 16. All right, round one. We got the one seed against the 16 seed. When the one seed would obviously be Michael Jordan over Russell in the 1998 NBA Finals. I'm going to let you elaborate on that some, and then I'll get to the 16 seed. Yeah, so Jordan is honestly like the father or the, the founder of Game 6. Like, you know, he went to he won six championships. When he won those championships, he never lost. He always won them, and he never went past Game 6. Um, so when you think about game six, although it's more than just sports and it's more than just, uh, the actual physical game six, it, it, it does start with that. You know, clearly it starts with the game six. So, um, he is the, the, the founder of that. So when you think about game six, you, one of the first people or things that you think of is Jordan and what more iconic play, uh, in his career than that push off <laughs> that he had on Byron on Byron Russell in Game Six in Utah, um, the last game he played as a Chicago Bull, and the last championship he won uh, in 1998. So um, that's the obvious one seed, you know what I'm saying? So, um, and what's the 16 seed that they'll be going against? Yeah, you know that might be Rock Chalk Jayhawk or Rock Chalk Jordan there, because I don't know what to be, <laughs> but the 16 seed would be the first time Goku went Super Saiyan. So, you know, with Dragon Ball Z, a lot of things tend to get lost in context, like how they happen, all this other kind of stuff. And, like, you know, it's a lot of stuff that ain't really clear among the fandom. So let's just set the scene, right? Goku Mm -hmm. was by far the strongest hero in Dragon Ball Z. And they were going against Frieza. Frieza had done transformed five times, and they couldn't do nothing with him. He was toying around with Vegeta, Gohan, Piccolo, everybody just messing around with him, having fun. Right. Goku comes out with him, and he's actually fighting Goku at one point with a hand behind his back. Yep. He literally did this and wasn't even like using 100% power while doing that. He was still toying around with him. And, 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 Keep keep note. Um, this is closer to the end, but he did. Goku did use his uh, special, the Genki Dama, aka the Spirit Bomb. Oh, uh, so we got translations here. Yeah, and, <laughs> and and he uh and and Frieza held it with his hands, and, and although it hurt a little bit, uh, he survived it. Um, yeah, so that's the biggest point in all this. So in Dragon Ball Z, their moves are like good. There's no difference between a Kamehameha and a Gallic Gun and a Masinko. Like, there's really only maybe two or three moves that are actually special because they can do 
you know, like they can elevate the person. One would be Kaioken because it's not a transformation like people think. It's like a technique that anybody can learn, and 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 it does have consequences. So Kaioken would be two would be the special beam cannon that Piccolo used because he could, you know, take Buddy out with that, even though he won't know where near Raditz level. But third, Mm -hmm. which is by far the strongest move in all of Dragon Ball Z, is the Spirit Bomb. Think about this. Krillin punk ass. <laughs> a baby spirit bomb that could take down Vegeta. <laughs> and it's in Napoli. <laughs> and Goku made a great big giant spirit bomb. And Frieza ate it. Like, like, you know, like you said, it caught him off guard at first, but he essentially ate it. Right. And started picking dudes off one by one. And so, like, you know, me, eight years old, I was like, oh, that's it. It's over. Like, it's really <laughs> But then lightning start cracking. Sky turn black. Goku goes full on gold and gives that generic Superman speech. And it was over. It was over. <laughs> no, well, not. He didn't cut him in half. He cut himself in half. But he beat this man down. Freezer cut himself in half. And he spared this man life. Gave him his own power. And then still ended up having to take him down. Like, come on, game six. So, yeah, that's sixteen C. Probably, probably the most game six moment in Jack Buzzy history. Honestly, probably. probably in any kind of like animation. Probably. Yeah, it's definitely historic, and that's that's crazy. That's that's the sixteen C. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's crazy. the content we got. Exactly. So, um, do you want to get the winner of that one now, or are we going to the? Uh... Yeah, we should get the winner of that one. Yeah, let's go ahead and get a winner. And yes, Rock Chalk Jordan here. Of yep. course, Jordan advances to the next round. Exactly. Uh, pretty, pretty. It was a tough one because, like I said, that's a that's a uh, a pretty heavy uh, sixteen seed, and there's no, there's no sleeper there. But um, you, know, you can't top Jordan, at least not not Goku. Goku can't do it. <laughs> not Super Saiyan. Maybe Ultra Instinct. <laughs> yeah. But not super saiyan. But yeah, man. So what what we got for the two seed? All right. So now we're gonna do two versus fifteen. Um, I'll be talking about the number two seed. You'll be talking about the fifteen, which is another Dragon Ball Z callback. Vegeta with the saves. So I'm gonna let you go ahead and get into that first. So as much as we just talked about Goku being, you know, uh, doing his thing against Frieza and everything like that. There's a lot of moments in Dragon Ball Z, and I'm not going to get into specifics about each one, but there's a lot of moments in Dragon Ball Z, especially if you watch it, where, you know, it looks like everything's down and out. Goku off somewhere, doing some God knows what. And people always forget that Vegeta, because he was like kind of sort of an anti-hero, especially early on, um, uh, is Vegeta is out there. And he usually comes and saves the day just enough to stall for Goku to end up beating the bad guy. And that, that usually drives fans crazy that Vegeta hasn't really killed a main character yet. But, um, you know, a lot of times Vegeta comes out of nowhere. And, you know, for example, the Android 19 and, and 20 saga where Goku was dying of the heart virus um, and Vegeta came out there, saved him. And he himself was a Super Saiyan. Nobody knew that. He came out of there, saved Goku, beat him up and almost defeated Cell. Um and there's other moments like the Dragon Ball. I don't know if you ever seen a movie, uh, Cooler Returns. Um, but, saved him in that. He also saved yeah. him in uh, Captain Ginyu, too. 
Exactly. So it's a whole, just a whole bunch of points where Vegeta comes out of nowhere and saves the day, or at least saves enough time for Goku to end up, you know, restoring his health or doing whatever it is. Um, so that's why I say Vegeta is game six for always saving Goku. Now, those are definitely game six moments, but I think what might hold him back is even though he does kind of save the day or stall, usually he ends up catching a fade, bro. <laughs> he does. <laughs> He, <laughs> he ends up catching the fade, but uh, he might. Well, nah, he's not gonna be able to pull through because I got the Dukies for number two, which Ooh. as a team, especially college team, like they might be the most game six team ever. I'm talking specifically about the Christian Leitner led teams, um, that had also Bobby Hurley, um, all time assist leader, um, for the ACC. As well as the, yeah, as well as the Hill brothers. Um, so let's go to Christian Leitner's sophomore year. Sophomore year, they make it all the way to the Final Four. Um, make it to the Final Four, and they go against Lon Kruger's UNLV running Rebels. And when they say running Rebels, I mean they ran Duke off the court. Duke lost by like maybe 20 points. Um, it was ugly. Like, it was so bad. As soon as they got back to Durham, they did nothing but, like, practice hard. And Coach K was trying to make guys quit because he was that disappointed with the effort they gave. The next year, they come back. And not only do they beat UNLV in the tournament, also the famous shot Christian Leitner made whenever Grant Hill threw him the ball from almost was it it, it was about three fourths the um length of the court. Christian Leitner in that game was ten for ten, a hundred percent shooting, and he made that last shot for the tenth shot in the last minute to beat Kentucky, and they would go on to win the national championship that year. Then this same core of guys, the very next year would go on to beat Chris Weber, Jalen Robes, Jawan Howard in the national championship game to be to get one of well one well yeah to get one of the rarest feats ever in the history of college sports, especially in today's climate, to win multiple rings, but not just to win multiple rings, but to do it back to back. The only team yeah. that's done it since then was Florida. They had four first round picks. Um, exactly. fourth guy's forgotten. Like, I don't even remember Buddy's name, but he was a first-round pick. Um, and before that, there's not really – I mean, there's not really many programs that can say they have back-to-back national championships. And for that team to do it the way they did it in those clutch moments, game six. Game six. So, uh, like you said, man, uh, as, as much as Vegeta, you know, put up a fight, uh, is, is this one is not as much of a contest as the first one, you know. Uh, Kristen Leitner, as much as I, I pulled for Carolina and Chapel Hill, that that Duke team, especially that game against Kentucky, where I think he even had more field goals than that. He might have been like twenty-one for twenty-two or something like that. But I think he might um, have been ten for ten free throws. What I was thinking. Yeah, yeah. Um, but he only missed like one shot, and the shot that he did make was like, like he caught the ball did like one little dream shake and then <laughs> faded away. And I think he had like 32 points. It was crazy. Like that was almost a perfect game, literally. Um, so yeah, he, he, he did his thing. Um, 
if you if you guys haven't seen the documentary, if you like cool, you know, if you like college basketball, you have heard the name Kristen Laner. I definitely suggest watching the movie or the doc. I hate Kristen Laner. It's definitely interesting. Um, but yeah, uh, or the Fab Five documentary is also great. But oh yeah, that was really good. Yeah, so I agree. Number two, Kristen Laner, Duke. They definitely win. They go into the second round. Rock um, <laughs> So who we got for third, third and fourteen seed? Three and fourteen. I'm gonna let you talk about the three, which would be Eli in the Super Bowl, and I'm gonna discuss the fourteen. Which you know we gotta have Cinderellas in there. Like, and you know, if you're talking rappers, it'd be easy to put Jay Z or Diddy in that category. But you know, we gotta have Cinderella. So we decided to go with Master P, and I'll be discussing that. Oh, uh, no, no. <laughs> but you go ahead and we'll start with Master P. Yeah, Master P. So you know, this guy. It's for whatever reason, there's just this connotation that South means slow and dumb. <laughs> for it might just be the way we talk, but I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But uh, Master P, he really came up doing a lot of the same things Jay Z and Diddy did as far as making his own brand, putting his own guys out there, even putting his own family on and them being successful, and then picking other guys up, like how he brought Snoop over to No Limit, doing things like that, and he even broke into the cinema, um, trying to get distribution deal for his DVD. Nobody would take it, or they was trying to play him with the money. He said, nah, you know what? I'm going to sell this shit out the trunk of my trunk. <laughs> my trunk. And making straight cash, bootlegging itself. So, that's why I would give him the 14C, but what might end up holding him back is not having that same level of success some of the other guys we mentioned had. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, I definitely agree. He's definitely a game six type of guy. You know, he's made his way. Um, did it his way. Yeah, did it his way. Um, the three seed, though, uh, like you mentioned, is as a Giants fan, is uh, I try to be as unbiased as possible. But, you know, facts are the facts. Facts are the facts. You can't spell elite without Eli. And uh, my man won not one, but two Super Bowls, uh, something that very few quarterbacks can say. That's one. And not only did he win two, but he won two against the Patriots. No other team has beaten the Patriots twice in, 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 the, in the Super Bowl. So um, that's one. And then two, the first one he won in 2007, the Patriots team was 18-0. Most, game, most consecutive games, almost an undefeated season. They had lost to the Patriots in one of the last games of the regular season that year. But the Patriots seemed unbeatable. That's when, that's the Randy Moss that you want to bring up. That's People don't talk about their defense a lot either, but they were really good on defense that year. They're too. really good on defense, but, you know, like you said, that, that, that people talk about the 50 touchdowns that Tom Brady had, the 22 or 23 receiving touchdowns that Randy Moss had, almost unstoppable. Um, and they had the West Walkers and stuff like that. So they were a great team. Uh, they definitely still had a great defense with the Richard Seymour's and Teddy Bruskies and uh, uh, Rodney, uh, forget it, Rodney Harrison's and stuff. But Ty Law, I think, is still on the team. Uh, Asante Samuel was always getting picks. But nevertheless, Giants pulled off the upset when that's, t- that's ring number one. A couple years later, fast forward to 2011. Now, you, you may have gotten lucky with the first one, but Lightning don't strike twice. And you know, the this is the year 
that. You got uh, what's his name, uh, Rob Gronkowski. Now you had uh, uh, Hernandez, who was the like like people forget how great of a tight end he was. Um, but you still had Hernandez. Um, Tom Brady was still elite. You know, still in the prime of his career. Um, now you had uh, not Danny Danny Amendola. You had Julian Edelman, who was still kind of well, actually Wes Walker was still there. My bad, not Amendola. Um, you still had Wes Walker, but he was kind of you know kind of falling off. But he was still good. Um, and he had a, still had a good defense. And 2011 came. Giants were still the underdogs. You know, you're not going to beat Tom Brady and uh, th- those guys twice. Um, but they did. You know, so we beat them again. Eli came up clutch again. First time it was the touchdown pass that uh, Blesco Burris. Second time he led a touchdown drive. One of the most key plays of that game was that beautiful pass he had on the sideline to Mario Manningham, uh, who had distributed uh, great feet work, <laughs> is what he said in the press in the press conference afterwards. But yeah, man, um, clutch as clutch as clutch gets, man. Like um, he had two great runs. You know, as game six as it got. In that second year, I remember that a lot because he went on the road to beat the 15-1 and Green Bay Packers and Aaron Rodgers. Um, and then they went – I forget who we played in the championship game. Oh, we went on the road to beat uh, the 49ers. Um, and, we, you know, we, we, we didn't have home court advantage is what I'm saying. We always went to somebody else's place and, and did what we were supposed to do. So, Eli is my number – my uh, – number three seed and you know i think it goes without saying uh, oh, jordan <laughs> goes without saying uh you know he's a little bit more clutch than master p um in his field of uh, expertise um so you know what we got going next with the four and the 13 seed the four and the 13 now this one is a little bit interesting so what we'll have here is the 2011 playoff run of Dirk Nowitzki and the Dallas Mavericks, which I'll be discussing as a four seed, and Kanye West's rise to stardom, specifically the beginnings, is what you'll discuss for number 12. So i let you have at it first. Yeah, so uh, the reason why we decided to go to Kanye is because, you know, Rockefeller had that run. Back in the late to early 2000s, um, with Jay Z at the helm, you had Dame Dash, you had Memphis Bleak, and some of those other guys, Freeway, and you know, uh, uh, Beanie Siegel. Beanie. But, but, um, they were kind of falling off, you know what I'm saying? Not, and not Jay Z in particular, but the Beans and the Memphis Bleaks or whatever, you know, they, they were looking for that next guy, and lo and behold, they found this guy from Chicago. Um, who spent some time in New Jersey as well, Brick City. Um, but they found this guy from Chicago who who could spit a little bit, but he also made beats and he was a producer. Um, and if you listen to Kanye West's first album, College Dropout, then you'll get the whole story. I'm not going to go into it. But he was clutch because he, you know, when they gave him that Rockefeller chain and he became one of the faces of that group or that, that, that record label, um, he was carrying the lead, carrying the load for a little while. And um, especially his first couple albums, all classics, college dropout, late late registration, graduation, all classics. Um, and I, you could make argument he almost every project that he put out is great, with the exception of Jesus. I think 
other than that, I think you can make a classic. Uh, make make a case that everything he's dropped has been great, except for years. As a Kanye West fan, there's songs that I could pick out from that class, that album, but no, I can't rock with that one. I I don't go back and play that one at all. But yeah, Kanye West Game Six put the Rockefeller on the on a, on his back, literally. Um, yeah, and made a name for himself. Yeah, so. It's pretty good, you know, carrying the load on that team. That means for a second there, he was stiff and Jay-Z was Durant, which, you know, that's that's something good to be able to have in your back pocket to say that. Yep. But uh, get to the four seed, Dirk Nowitzki's 2011 playoff run. Might be one of the best individual playoff runs in totality by a superstar in the NBA. So let's paint the picture here. First round beats the Portland Trailblazers, which they were a good team. Probably about as good a team you can play in the first round and not be like an eight seed severely overmatched. Like, you know, it's pretty good team. They're a competitive team. We go to the next round. They play Kobe Bryant, Lamar Odom, Andrew Bynum, at the time who was still seen as a big thing in the league. And he was kind of producing that way, too. He started to fall off a little bit about the next season. And also, Pal Gasol, to go along with this Laker team, just won a championship, coming off the heels of that championship, looking to repeat. Right. Swept in four. Swept them in four. I remember that because Andrew Bynum got tight and knocked J.J. Barea in the middle there. Sure did. He was hot. He was hot. So then we go to the next round, Western Conference Finals. Who else would they face? Um, you know, because of the rivalry, a lot of people might be thinking Spurs, but no. They'll go against the Oklahoma City Thunder, which at the time they were not the superstars that they are today, but you could see it. You had Russell Westbrook, James Harden, and Kevin Durant to go along, but also at the time they had Jeff Green, and they had Cephalosia. They had a bunch of different guys on the court. And it was a very well-built team. You know, uh, they were like one of those small market teams, but they had the actual superstars. And this is when Harden was just starting to come on. This, was, right. this is right when there were people were saying, this guy might be something in the league. And this is when he was in that six-man role. Right. And one of the biggest knocks on Dirk throughout his whole career was toughness, which I didn't really think it was lack of toughness throughout his career is just the style he played which was so taboo to a lot of people um which is now actually the big man popping out for threes exactly in that series he definitely stepped up to toughness playing tougher defense getting rebounds he Dirk was actually blocking shots which he didn't really do a lot of throughout the course of his career but he was like it's like he was making it a point to step up and lead the charge on defense and he also had Tyson Chandler there to help him, which I'll get to talking about their team. So they beat that big three. But then here's the big thing. They go on to beat the Miami Heat. Wow. The big three. Dwayne Wade, Bosch, and Miami in, in a way. I mean, Dwayne Wade, Bosch, and LeBron. And granted, it was their first year together, but man, come on. Like – to beat them in the finals, like who else has that distinction other than Greg Popovich, along with his team of Tim Duncan, Manu Ginobili, Tony Parker, and Kawhi Leonard? 
<laughs> this playoff run so special, which I was saying it was more so Dirk for the moment, was Dirk was the only clear-cut superstar on this team. Now, he did right. have Jason Kidd on this team, but Jason Kidd was not MVP candidate dropping triple-doubles every other night, Jason Kidd. Right. Um, Tyson Chandler was probably one of the three, four best players on the team, and he can't hit a jump shot outside of seven feet. (laughs) Like, Dirk was really carrying the load for them. And granted, everybody in the team did great playing their role, but for Dirk to do that that way, that's game six. Game six. And and what I'll add to that is that, you know, they were severe underdogs going into the series. They lost game one uh, on the road at Miami. Game two, they were down 15 uh, going uh, already in the fourth, like seven, eight minutes left. And I remember still to this day the moment when LeBron to D-Wade hit a jump shot. And they were like high-fiving and laughing and everything. Like, yo, we about to go 2-0. We about to get our first championship. Not one, not two, not three, not four. Yeah, it was about to be on and popping. And next thing you know, Jason Terry, Dirk Nowinski, they just led this charge, man, Jason Kidd. And they came back and won that game. So now the series is tied 1-0. Then you go on the road back in Dallas. And keep in mind, I'm a LeBron fan. So I was I was rooting for Miami. But, um, you know, they go on the road, close game. Uh, Miami pulls it out thanks to D-Wade having a great game. Um, and I think LeBron – I think Chris Bosh hit like a big jumper at the end. But down uh, – Dallas is down 1-2. Then they tie this series up behind Dirk Nowinski playing with his heroics, averaging like 27 that series. Um, then he gets six, sick in game five. And LeBron and D-Wade had this like memorable moment where they were like mocking him pre- or prior to the game where they were like fake coughing or whatever. Uh, and he goes out and kill him again. His uh, flu, flu flu game light <laughs> wasn't really the flu game, but something like it. Um, and then they close out game six um, in Miami. And, you know, it was Mark, Mark Cuban's only championship at this point. Um, and, and Dirk Nowinski has been with that franchise for his entire career. And, and that moment, that series, that run is definitely game six for him. All day, every day. So, hey, rock chalk Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> so, once again, so it's almost no brainer. You know, Kanye did his thing. But, uh, nah, this this is definitely going to Dirk. And, like, looking at the way this is going, you would think we both picked Virginia to win last night. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Which we probably did. <laughs> but, um, so what's what's next? We got what, the 5 and the uh, 11 or 10? 5 and 11. 5 and 11. Yeah, get my numbers right. Five and eleven, which would be one of the more iconic moments in uh, not just LeBron's career, but also um, NBA. LeBron comes down three-one against the Golden State Warriors, going up against Netflix, and they rise to fame. Mm. I'm starting with that LeBron three-one. Well, um, this is fairly recent, so I'm not going to go too much into detail with it. You know, you, you already know what time it is. Um, LeBron went up against the Golden State Warriors, the 73-9 team. 
best regular season record in the history of the NBA. Um, you know, had the unanimous MVP, the one and only to this point unanimous MVP in the history of the NBA, Steph Curry. I was watching that league. I was watching the uh, basketball a lot that year. Um, I remember Steph Curry's iconic play or game against OKC in OKC, I think around like maybe December to uh, November, and hit the game winner from like half court. And, you know, he just pulled out like it was normal. <laughs> like he didn't like heave it. He just pulled out like it was normal. Like this was like a free throw and it was nothing but net. Um, so I was actually rooting for the Warriors that year, as a, even though I'm a LeBron fan. But they meet in the finals. Golden State is killing the first two games. Golden State has home court advantage, obviously. Um, they kill them in the first two games, beat them by like 20 points on average. Then Cleveland wins game three, close, you know, but they, they win it. Then game four comes, and they lose the game. But the key thing that happens in that series was Draymond, who had gotten a lot of technicals in the series prior. And in the playoffs, you reset, but you have a limit to how many technicals you can get. I think it's like seven or eight technicals you can get in the entire playoff sit run. And he had been kicking people in the nuts uh, almost every game the year uh, games on uh, series prior. And uh, Golden State was down 1-3 against OKC. And he had been had his issues with technical fouls in that series. So he and LeBron got into it. Um, LeBron knocked him over by accident, but he stepped, LeBron stepped over him. Now, I don't know if LeBron did this on purpose to agitate uh, Draymond Green, but if he did, he is a master behind troll because he stepped over Draymond. Draymond obviously didn't like that, so he pushed LeBron off of him, but he pushed him and, like, Loki hit him in the groin, and then LeBron went back and forth with Draymond. They got into it, a little altercation, a little, you know, not a, not a, a Royal Rumble, not a brouhaha, more of a kerfuffle. Um, and apparently, Draymond called LeBron a bitch in that, save, in that game. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. Huh? Band. A band. Oh, oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. So, yeah, it was, it, it was about it was about time. So, LeBron was like, oh, word? That's how you feel? So, LeBron turned game six. He was already doing well in that series. But the rest of the league, the two games back-to-back, something that Jordan and nobody else has ever done, two back-to-back games with 40 points. So they lose game four. So now they're down 3-1. This is when, after the game, this is, this is important. So, no, uh, people were talking about, you know, what happened or whatever. And Craig Thompson, his arrogant self, uh, was like, oh, they asked him about why, you know, why did LeBron react like that? You never see him get into it, yada, yada, yada. He was like, I don't know. I guess he got his feelings hurt. Ha, 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 ha. Oh, yeah. Somebody's about to get their feelings hurt, buddy. So LeBron heard that. He was like, oh, word. He just started laughing. Next thing you know, back-to-back 40-point games. Not only did he just get 40 points, getting double-digit rebounds, triple-doubles, everything. Getting blocked, steals, everything. So they go two game six, down 3-1. No team in the history of the NBA has ever won the series after being down 1-3 in the finals. No team. So they go on the road. They win game five with the help of 40 points from Kyrie and 40 points, 40 points from LeBron. So then they bring it back to Cleveland. Last game of the season in Cleveland. Another 40-point game for LeBron. Boom. Game seven. On the road against um, – well, I, I, one thing I forgot. Jeremiah Green was suspended for game five because of that brouhaha. But game They still seven, had two games to play. That's no excuse. Two more games to play, but a keynote in game, I think it was game five. 
Um, they also lost Andrew Bogut, who the reason why that's big because he was their interior defender and he was causing problems for LeBron and, and, and company to get into the paint. He was causing problems. So that did make things a little bit easier. But again, Kyrie and Kevin Love was hurt the the year before that. Uh, and LeBron still made it a six game series. So again, no excuses. So game seven on the road, everybody's healthy or everybody's there, yada yada yada. And LeBron doesn't drop forty, but he drops the one and only, or I think one of the person, I think it was James Worthy, triple double in a elimination game, game seven, in the finals, twenty seven points, uh, the biggest block in the history of the NBA, and Kyrie hit the one of the biggest shots in the history of the NBA, that little step back, uh, cream between cross cream, whatever you want to call it, fillet um, from three. So shaking back, baby. Yeah, a little shaking back. Um, so go Cleveland won the first championship in Cleveland sports in about sixty plus years. The only championship for Cavaliers history. Um, and LeBron made do on his promise. You know, he said he was gonna come back and win a championship, and he did it. So that's why that's Game Six, Ultimate Game Six. But go ahead uh, with the uh, <laughs> with the with the other seed. Netflix, Netflix at the eleven. But uh, want to ask real quick, um, like if it's true, this is the most game six thing that um about the whole situation. But I heard that whenever Draymond called him a band, he walked up to him and said, "I'm a husband and a father. You don't talk to me like that." <laughs> That's <laughs> uh, undisputed. <laughs> That's what I heard. I don't know. I, that's the first time I heard of that, but uh, I look, he hope he did not say that, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> I am a husband and a father. How dare you? I challenge you to a duel. <laughs> but uh, Netflix at the 11. Netflix. A lot of people think, well, their streaming service, how can be up here. You got to think about it. It's not long ago. Um, let's say about ten years ago. Streaming was like like streaming live and streaming content off the internet was not taboo because people could do it. You could go up there watch video. This is when YouTube was really starting to take off, but it won't the norm like it is now. Now you can go on just about any device. I mean, you can go on TV now and go on YouTube and Netflix, things like that. At the time, this was not the norm. What the norm was was DVDs. You know, sites like Gamefly and Redbox were starting to kind of take over, but Blockbuster still had its foothold. And, you know, other places like Movie Gallery too, but for the most part, Blockbuster. But Netflix started streaming service, and and it became profitable. And they presented it to Blockbuster, trying to get society in that way they could, like, you know, just work for Blockbuster and, you know, get that big lump sum at one time and continue to make money, which is, you know, you can't fault somebody for doing that. You know, you want to cash in on your hard work and at the same time continue success. So you can't fault somebody for that. But Blockbuster was like, it's stupid and it's never going to catch on. Not facts. And Netflix said, we humbly declined your offer and we're going to continue business as usual. If they continue business as usual, they stop business completely for Netflix. Um, you know, Gamefly, Redbox. For, for, best, for, for Best Buy. 
I mean, I uh, Best Buy for Blockbuster. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> Blockbuster no longer exists. And it's mostly due to Netflix, because even though Redbox and Gamefly were there, Blockbuster still kind of had that footing, because at the time, people were still setting that mind of going to the store, picking it up. But Netflix made it so easy to watch what you wanted to watch on demand. And, you know, they went up against the big dog. And they got played by the big dog. But in the end, they got the win, and they're still winning today. So game six, Netflix. Mm-hmm. Netflix and chill. <laughs> oh, yeah, that too. Ooh. Ooh. Anyway. Can't get can't get more game six than Netflix and chilling. Nah, you know, that's a whole other category. <laughs> <laughs> whole another league of game six. <laughs> but uh, you know, gonna have to rock chalk Jordan here again. Yes. You know, LeBron coming back like that. I mean, just a team coming back like that. Period. It didn't matter who it was. That's game six. It's pretty much almost the definition of game six, so it's no way to pick against Exactly. And the, the biggest thing about it is not that just that they were down 1-3. They were down 1-3 against a 73-9 and team. So, technically one of the best teams in NBA history. Not even technically, just actually. And a unanimous MVP in Steph Curry, who had one of the best seasons we can think of in, me- in recent memory. And they did it against the odds. Um, and, and came back and won. So, yeah, that's that's game six. Most definitely. So, now we're going to try and speed on a little bit. Um, We're going to talk a little bit about the Cubs for our game six, six seed in the bracket, going against Steve Jobs and Apple with the 10 seed. So, I'm going to start real quick with the Cubs. Not really much to explain. 100-year-plus curse, which – um. I don't want to exactly tell the story of the supposed curse because um, there's a lot of different versions of it, and it has something to do with a billy goat, so I don't want to get too much into it. <laughs> the Cubs hadn't won a World Series in well over 100 years. Like, it might have been going on 110, close to it. but And they finally snapped the streak two years ago with one of the with one of the best young teams to win the World Series in recent memory, so that just speaks volumes, game six. And, I mean, and they're it, not just breaking records, they're breaking curses. And, and, and they, weren't they down 1-3 as well? Not sure. I have to look at it. But um, but uh, they were definitely down, yeah. I think they were down 1-3. They were down 1-3 because the Twins should have won that. Yep. So they were down 1-3. Um yeah, so that's that's uh, that was also game six, but um, yeah, I agree, definitely uh, game six for them. And then um, the uh, next seed uh, that we were talking about, Steve Jobs slash Apple. Um, I mean, what what else can you say? This is kind of self-explanatory. Like, where where would we be without our Apple products? Or at least I'm speaking from a personal standpoint. Um, you know, I, I put Steve Jobs because he's no longer with us. Rest in peace. But um, you know, they're still coming out with bangers with the exception of the iPhone X. That was kind of trash. But, um, <laughs> yeah, man, um, we just, you know, we plugged Apple Music a little bit earlier. Along along with Netflix, they kind of, they kind of uh, you know, made the game with iPods and iTunes and um, iHomes and, you know, Docs and stuff like that and iPhones. 
they kind of are the the trendsetters when it comes to that stuff. So that's this is game six as it gets, but you know, smartphones and whatnot. Um, yeah. So what do we have the winner for that one? Oh well, you know, I mean, Apple. I mean, no, I like the iPhone much the next guy, but it ain't breaking no curses. So, <laughs> Cubs, Rock Chalk, Jordan. Now these next two matchups, Seagan is getting a little closer, so we might see an upset, even though it might be a slight one. But we're gonna go with the seven and the ten, and so for here. The seven will have LeBron in 2012 in the um, NBA Finals. I mean, not the NBA Finals, but the NBA Playoffs against Boston. Going up against Black Wall Street. And I'll let you get started with LeBron. Yeah, so uh, before LeBron could do the whole coming back down from 1-3 against Golden State, you know, he had his ups and downs. And this happened before he ever won his first championship. After that loss against the Golden State, uh, I mean, against – the Mavs that we talked about a couple minutes ago, you know, that historic run, that was also a big failure for LeBron. People started cursing him and saying that he wasn't clutch because he played terrible in that series um, and he couldn't win, yada, yada. He'll never be Michael Jordan, yada, yada, yada. So, you know, come back the following year, uh, the Eastern Conference Finals against the Boston Celtics in their big three. Um, you know, they were a little bit older, but they were still good enough to win championships. And, you know, Paul Pierce had just been a hit, just, had just hit a game winner in LeBron's face in Miami uh, the game before. So now the Celtics were up 3-2. So they were looking to close out the series at home uh, against the Miami Heat. Now, had the big three lost this one, oh, boy, you would have never heard the end of it. So never. This, this was huge, man. Game six on the road, you got to come up big. And uh, um, you've probably seen a picture of LeBron looking real mean, looking real greasy, um, you know, of a mean or a meme or anything like that. But he dropped 45 points, 15 rebounds. But the reason why the 45 points was crazy because he also shot 19 for 26 in that game. So he was extremely efficient. And if you watch that game, even if you watch the highlights, that was not a high-scoring game. It was actually a really close, hard-fought, defensive type of game and LeBron was at the top of his game, and he was the best player hands down on that court on both sides of, of, the, of, the, of, the, on the, of the ball. And the craziest thing about it was he wasn't just dunking the ball and, and laying up the ball. He had some crazy fadeaways, crazy threes, crazy jump shots that he was hitting as well. Um, so he was at the top of his powers. Won that game, game six, and then he won game seven on the road, I mean at home. Uh, and and he eventually won his first championship that year. So without that game, man, who knows where LeBron would be at this point, man? Because uh, he need they needed that. Miami Miami needed all of those points. So uh, that's game six for me. Um, and what do you say about uh, the next seed? Yeah, Black Wall Street at a uh, number ten. Um, no, Black Wall Street was a group of people in a country that was built on slavery. These were the people oppressed by the slavery and the laws that came after, which, you know, Jim Crow further suppressed them. They came together and they did things that at the time colored people weren't supposed to do. They became doctors. They became dentists. They became businessmen, lawyers, store store owners, and built up their own communities, creating jobs for their own people that went through the same oppression that they did pretty much 
taking the system and making it their own to beat it. And, you know, through events that, um, you know, definitely racially charged that I won't get into, that was lost. Um, you know, wasn't talking about the games, Black Wall Street, but, you know, for the um, benefit of time, I, I'm not going to get too far into it, but just shows what can happen whenever people believe in each other, they come together and they work hard together for a common goal. And in this case, it was building up a community for people that had not had that. So that's definitely game six in my book with the 10 seed. Exactly. I totally agree with that pick. Um, definitely one of the epitome, um, something that epitomizes game six, but um, it's going to be hard to top <laughs> LeBron and uh, uh, 45 and 15 against the Celtics. <laughs> yeah, so it's Rock Chalk Jordan again here. So it would be a minor upset, but maybe our eight, nine seeds can pull off this upset, which I'll let you get started with the nine seed. Sir Johnny Cochran. Johnny. So um, I'm, I've am i been kind of obsessed with the O.J. Simpson trial as of recently. He had a stupid interview um, in 2006 that was just released from Fox News that came out last week. Um, I, I happened to be late on the train, but I just watched the, the People vs. O.J. Doc, uh, miniseries that I thought was awesome. And it made me realize, man, I always knew Johnny Cochran because of that trial. But my man Johnny Cochran was, was definitely clutch um, in game six. And the reason why I say that, he had some pivotal moments, especially if you've seen the series and know about the trial that helped OJ get away with something that I think we all know that he did. Um, so initially he was not the head lawyer in that case. Um, it was uh, Bob Shapiro, but, you know, due to his actions and his, his wisdom and his leadership, you know, he eventually took lead and, you know, did whatever it took to help get OJ off, which, uh, again, we all know that he did that. So um, he came up with a, a coin, a popular phrase that was uh, very pivotal in the trial with OJ's glove, or maybe it wasn't his glove, but a glove found on the uh, crime scene um, that OJ cannot fit. And he said, if it doesn't fit, you must acquit. And low-key, or uh, lo and behold, he was acquitted. And found not guilty of that those double murders um so you know johnny cochran <laughs> is the epitome of game six when it comes to that yeah uh one thing i'll say to add to that no it was a very racially charged time so for him to get oj off of that crime that he supposedly committed to those two people during those racially charged times, whenever even black people thought he did it, speaks a lot about that game six performance, bro. Speaks yeah. a lot. So we actually might get an upset, pull it off here, which the number eight seed I'm going to talk about, Jack Jackson. Um, Side note, a lot of people don't know it, but he at one time did own the Cotton Club, Um, which if you don't know what the Cotton Club is, go and read up on it. It's where a lot of – Jazz musicians made their name during the Harlem Renaissance. But anyway, all the sports we talked about in this bracket mainly talk about team sports, even though we touched on some individuals. So we got to go to an individual type of sport here where you're the captain. Even though you may have a team around you, the performance is strictly on you. So we're going to go combat sports, boxing, Jack Jackson. 
Let me tell you about this man. Johnson, right? Yeah, you hear me? Yeah, yeah, no, Jack Johnson, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Jack Johnson. Sorry. Jack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jack Johnson. I got mixed up. Anyway, early 1900s, late 1800s. Tell you what this guy was doing. He was the world heavyweight champion. This is back whenever the world heavyweight champion was his name carried just as much weight as president. Back in the day, you knew two people. You knew the ruler of your country. And you knew who the world heavyweight champion was. <laughs> not only was he doing this, he, he was doing this in America, not too far removed from slavery. And let me tell you, boxing is a very dirty sport. Even to this day, there are some promoters that they'll have their fighter defending their title. And some challenger will come into town. And the way it's set up, unless he knocks that guy out, he ain't leaving with that belt. <laughs> he can win the fight, but he ain't leaving with that belt because he's not going to win on the scorecard. Let me tell you what Jack Johnson was doing. He knew this, that they did not want him to have the belt. So you know what he was doing? He was knocking everybody's ass out. <laughs> not only was he knocking everybody's ass out, he was doing it, talking smack, let, letting everybody know he knew what the deal was, that he would only be champion if he knocked everybody out. And at the same time, he cruising in his T, um, uh, what's that they call him? The uh, the T model Ford. He was cruising in his T model Ford sports car, which really wasn't that luxurious at the time, with a bunch of white women. <laughs> he was bucking the system, straight up bucking it, doing it his way, being unapologetic about it, and doing it at the highest possible level. Game six, Jack Johnson. So basically, like a heavyweight version of Floyd Mayweather, <laughs> with the ex- with the exception of with the exception of knocking people out. Well, kind of. Well, he's more like a Floyd Ali mix, very close to slavery. So speaks a lot. Speaks a lot. Exactly. Um, yeah. So I agree, man. I am familiar with Jack Johnson. Uh, he was definitely game six, and he was doing things very um, unique to that time. But uh, it's going to be hard to be uh, – Live through it, to be honest, bro. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, really. Uh, I yeah. guess people were scared of him. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, so, um, you know, it's going to be hard to beat the uh, the nine seed, who I, I – it slipped my mind, who we were just talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, come on, bro. You got to get your game six face on. I know, but, right? But Johnny Cochran definitely has his oh, yeah. game six face on in advances for our only upset, albeit a minor one. Yes. So, Johnny Cochran, my bad, Johnny. All right, rest in peace. But, um, yeah, use game six. He moves on to the next round. We will discuss the winners of the following round um, in the next episode. So, stay tuned for that. Um, we got more coming on the way, but. Um, speaking of game six, we did a lot of talking about game six. We're going to go on to our game six performances of the week. And, you know, I'm going to let you go ahead and get started, man. Who you got for game six performance of the week? Six, I got a rapper. Uh, you might have heard of him, but based on how he views himself in his new music video, you might not. Uh, <laughs> um, I heard about him about 2014, and he's <laughs> – I mean, like, if you look at him just off his rapping, he can legitimately rap. He's right. a pretty good rapper. 
But what yeah. makes him stick out is his concepts. And he gets my game six performance this week for what he did with his music video. He made a song about Freaky Friday, the movie. Him switching places with Chris Brown, then Ed Sheridan, DJ Kylie, and even Kylie Jenner. And it was hot. Kendall. And it was hot. I mean, come on. They're all trash. It don't matter. But, <laughs> but it was hot. And like, you know, he makes videos must-see, doing something different. Game six. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I actually saw that Freaky Friday video. I thought it was very interesting. It was funny. Um, you know, the funny part was whenever they were seriously dancing and he looked like he was doing Zumba. 